A few weeks ago, we heard that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was splitting from the Bernie campaign and wouldn't actually campaign for him. Then we heard that Bernie Sanders was dropping out, which signifies the weakening of far left politics in this country. But another story happened a couple weeks ago. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez started taking a more mainstream conventional political approach. Many people on the left started slamming her angry that she wasn't standing up to the establishment. Others said she was being savvy. This will ensure that she can stay in office through the next primary, which brings me to my personal opinion on why Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has made this shift. And I believe it is desperation. We just got some big news a couple days ago. One of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's principal challengers has raised $1 million, a moderate former TV anchor challenging AOC in her district and giving her some real, some real pressure. Perhaps AOC knows that by constantly picking fights with Nancy Pelosi and Democratic leadership, that she's actually going to lose. The Democratic establishment is trying everything in their power to get rid of her. And it may very well be that coming up in the next primary, which is only a couple months away, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez could see the end of her congressional career. But if even someone like AOC, who's supposed to be this progressive poster child, would abandon her policy positions and even walk away from Bernie Sanders, perhaps that shows us there is not great strength in progressive policy or in these progressive politicians. Perhaps no matter what happens, the machine will swallow you whole. I wonder what's more important to Ocasio-Cortez, a career in Congress being a famous personality, do a grandstanding amid the stimulus package, or actually fighting for certain causes. As soon as AOC actually got elected, she walked away from some of her more far left political activisty type positions, and she was criticized for it. And over time, she has done the same thing. Dare I say, I believe with the, with the failure of the Bernie Sanders campaign, with even AOC starting to back away from far left uh, progressive politicians, we might be seeing the end of the far left in this country as we know it, more so as we've known over the past few years. Progressive personalities are calling her out. I think she is going mainstream. And however you want to view it, I think we're looking at a signal. The end may, may be coming, at least as far as it's happened over the past few years, right? The far left will always exist. They always have existed. But maybe they will lose much of their mainstream power. I think one of the only reasons they actually had power is through exploiting the system with primary voting. That's how AOC won in the first place. And because many people weren't paying attention. But I guess we'll see. The first story I want to take a look at from Politico, the new AOC divides the left, basically saying that she's changed. She's embracing mainstream conventional politics. Let's take a look at this story. Before we get started, however, Head over to timcast.com slash donate if you would like to support my work. There are several ways you can give. The best thing you can do is share this video. YouTube plays funny algorithmic games. They are propping up mainstream media and hurting independent commentary. If you like my content, it really does help to share the video. But also make sure to subscribe, hit the like button, and hit the notification bell if you want to make sure to get more videos like this. Politico reports, soon after her upset primary victory against a Democratic Party boss in 2018, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez traveled to St. Louis to prove her victory wasn't a one-off by campaigning for Cori Bush, who was similarly taking on a longtime Democratic congressman. What I'm asking for you to do is support my sister Cori Bush, Ocasio-Cortez said at a rally. It is so important what we did. We just came off of this win in New York, but people were trying to say it's just one place. Bush lost that race. 
but is, cha- but is challenging Rep. Lacey Clay again in an August primary. She has more money, higher name ID, and in January earned the endorsement of Bernie Sanders. But Ocasio-Cortez isn't helping Bush this time. On February 19th, Clay blasted out a picture of himself and Ocasio-Cortez smiling as they announced his support for her Green New Deal resolution. Dare I say, is this Ocasio-Cortez turning her back on a progressive politician and embracing the mainstream candidate? After her victory in 2018, AOC encouraged progressives to follow in her footsteps and run for Congress with the backing of left-wing group Justice Democrats, even if it meant taking on powerful incumbents. 16 months later, the Missouri primary isn't the only one Ocasio-Cortez is steering clear of. I believe she is trying to grasp onto her job. She doesn't want to give up the power and she won't risk it. She is catering to the mainstream to get what she needs. That's just how I see it. They say of the half dozen incumbent primary challengers, Justice Democrats is backing this cycle. Ocasio-Cortez has endorsed just two. Neither was a particularly risky move. Both candidates, Jessica Cisneros in Texas and Marie Newman in Illinois, were taking on conservative Democrats who oppose abortion rights and had the support of several national Democrats. Ocasio-Cortez's reticence marks a break with the outsider tactics of the activist left, represented by groups like Justice Democrats. This election cycle, the organization is trying to boot not just conservative Democrats, but also some liberal Democrats and to replace them with members who are more left wing. In other words, to replicate what it pulled off against former Rep. Joe Crowley in 2018 by recruiting Ocasio-Cortez. They say AOC's shift coincides with turnover among top aides in her congressional office, replacing some outspoken radicals with more traditional political professionals, along with a broader reckoning on the left on how to expand Sanders' coalition after his failure to significantly do so in the primary. Some progressives have questioned whether Sanders should have softened his anti-establishment rhetoric and tried to build bridges with mainstream Democrats who voted for Hillary Clinton in 2016, rather than betting big on turning out disaffected and first-time voters. AOC's endorsement moves are not a fluke, but part of a larger change over the past several months. After her disruptive burn-it-down early months in Congress, Ocasio-Cortez, who colleagues say is often conflict-averse in person, has increasingly been trying to work more within the system. She is building coalitions with fellow Democratic members and picking her fights more selectively. Now, many people feel this is AOC trying to be diplomatic to actually get something done. That I can commend. It sounds respectable, right? The idea being, if you're just a disruptive force, you'll never get any policies pushed through. They say it's savvy of her. However, I don't see it that way. I think this change came about the time the Democratic establishment said they'd either erase her district or primary her and remove her from office. There were also some murmurs that she may actually try and primary Chuck Schumer because she knows she is not long for Congress. Take a look at some of this big breaking news. Michelle Caruso Cabrera raises $1 million in bid to topple AOC. Maybe it's a little bit of both. But I really do think AOC likes the celebrity and likes the power. I'm not the only one who's called her out for this. Progressives have pointed out that she comes off like just somebody who wants to be a celebrity. And all of that will be washed away the day she loses re-election. Just like every other politician, they want to cling on to the power they have. Michelle Cabruso Cabrera is a moderate. And the uh, New York Post reports the former veteran CNBC anchor will report having $800,000 in cash on hand minus expenses paid when she officially files her financial disclosures with the Federal Election Commission. 
The financial report covers the first quarter of 2020, January 1st to March 31st, and the report is due April 15th. The outpouring of support has been amazing. Before coronavirus, people were stopping me on the street showing their excitement. And from the beginning, the countless handwritten letters from from near and far across the country have been so moving, Cabrera said. The national and local messages are clear. I will unite. AOC's reign of division will end. This early financial and political support shows unstoppable momentum. As they say in New York, you ain't seen nothing yet. Ocasio-Cortez's campaign declined to say Wednesday how much she has raised in the past three months or how much she has in her campaign treasury. A spokesman declined uh, to comment on Caruso Cabrera's fundraising numbers. But AOC has been a small donor fundraising powerhouse. At the end of December, the Democratic Socialist darling had $2.9 million in her treasury after raising $1.9 million in donations the prior three months. She raised more contributions than any other House Democrat from July 1st through August 30th of last year, $1.42 million. She also started her own political action committee, Courage to Change, to help fund the campaigns of other progressive insurgents running for office. That has rattled the cages of House Democratic leadership and incumbents. The 14th Congressional District includes portions of Queens and the Bronx, including neighborhoods hard hit by the coronavirus. Caruso Cabrera is running as a moderate pro-business Democratic alternative to AOC. She backed the planned Amazon campus in Long Island, which AOC helped scuttle in a dispute over subsidies to the e-tail giant. So we can certainly say that Caruso Cabrera is a real threat in the primary. But it is fair to point out AOC has raised, uh, here we can see, committee fundraising 2019-2020 from Open Secrets, 5.3 million raised, 2.7 spent with 2.9 cash on hand. AOC's got name recognition, millions of followers, but will that translate into her district? I personally don't know if it will. Bernie Sanders was able to activate progressives and far left activists around the country, but he didn't have a a good time activating the core Democratic base in certain areas. Now, voter turnout was going really well. Bernie was doing really well. But here's the point I want to bring up. You see, AOC's base is the internet, not her district. Imagine if you had 100 districts of 100 people. Now, you can have someone win a district of 100 people and say, I have 100 constituents. AOC has activated maybe one person in each district who goes online and voices their support. So the easy way to, easier way to explain it is, yes, many people know who she is. They like her. But is it actually her district? Personally, I don't think it is. She only got maybe like 15 or 16,000 votes when she ran last time. And that allowed her to win a district of 750 or so thousand people. So she didn't win because people said she has good ideas. She won because like Nancy Pelosi says, you, you could take a glass of water and slap a D on it. And someone in her district in, in, in that district, they, that glass of water would likely win. That was AOC's strong point. Now I think she's recognizing that her politics don't play well to regular Americans. You know, most of the people in her district probably aren't sitting on the internet screeching about far left policies. I'm sure there are many more far left people in her district than in many other districts. But I think she knows Michelle Caruso Cabrera does not have the same national profile as AOC, but raised a million dollars. What does that say? As someone who is predominantly active in that district, it, I would, I would, I would, you know, I, I view it as this. Michelle Caruso Cabrera likely has much more support. Now, there is a challenge for Michelle and theoretically for AOC, but maybe to AOC's advantage. Check this out. The primary in AOC's district will be on June 23rd, 2020. 
The campaign filing date was April 2nd. So we can see that one person has dropped out. The Democratic primary candidates are Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Michelle Caruso Cabrera, James Dillon, Badrin Khan, Jose Velasquez. Fernando Cabrera did not qualify or or withdrew from the race. What we can see is that there are going to be five Democrats running in this primary. That could actually split the vote up. If AOC gets two votes and each other person gets only one, AOC wins. Even though many people might be running, might be voting just to get rid of AOC. The fact that there are this many Democrats opposing AOC means you likely have AOC as the progressive versus many moderates. The moderates will split the vote. AOC will win. That's a serious risk. But check this out. Politico says the Chamber of Commerce is backing AOC's primary challenger, Michelle Caruso Cabrera. She's got establishment force behind her. I'm going to say it right now. I don't think I'm the smartest person in the world. I don't think my predictions are worth very much, but I am betting on Michelle Caruso Cabrera for this one. And it's for the reason I just said. AOC has been able to light up people around the country. But these are, in, these are random far-left individuals that do not make up the majority of this country. According to the Hidden Tribes report that I, like to, I love citing from just the past year, it's what, 8% of this country? If AOC was able to only get about 15,000 or so votes in her district, Michelle Cabruso Cabrera just needs to actually get general support from her district and she'll win the primary. Of course, the Republicans are unlikely to win, but I'll tell you what, if AOC wins the primary, it's not just about Michelle Cabruso Cabrera. Look at all these Republican candidates who are running against her. You might actually see Republicans and moderates in this district vote for a Republican, which would be insane, right? No one would ever suspect that a New York district would flip blue. It's New York. It's the, it's the Democrat stronghold. But look at what happened in the UK on December 13th. We all saw it. Areas that hadn't voted conservative for nearly 100 years flipped red and people were shocked by this. So let's say Michelle Cabruso Cabrera can't win. AOC wins the primary. Maybe then you see an activation of regular people who very, very much so oppose AOC. This tweet from Michelle Cabruso Cabrera just from earlier, she said, AOC has failed the people of the Bronx and Queens. She voted against the repeal of salt. Why do you want to hurt New Yorkers? Governor Cuomo is begging for its repeal. We need results now. Interestingly, some, the New York Post has said on December 19th that AOC splits with working class New Yorkers to vote against repeal of Trump's salt cap. That's the state and local taxes limit. It's, my, my general understanding is that it puts a limit on how much you can deduct from your state and local taxes to your federal taxes. Some argue that middle class New Yorkers need this repeal. It's hurting them, while others argue it would only benefit the, the millionaires and the rich people. I don't know which way. I can't tell you which is the right answer because I can tell you it's conflicted and you've got both sides arguing it's good or bad. But I can tell you this. It seems that AOC actually voted in line with Republicans, which has many New Yorkers kind of confused. So whether or not it's the right or wrong decision, she's not in line with what her district probably wants to see happen. But of course, there are many on the left that aren't upset by what she's doing. They like what she's doing. Here's a story from Esquire. AOC isn't breaking with Bernie. She's evolving beyond him as progressive politics must. Okay. All right. Let me put it this way. Are we looking at the end of the far left? Yes. You know why? I mean, they'll exist, but will they be in, in powerful positions? I think the answer is no. Either AOC is abandoning the policies or she's capitulating to the mainstream in order to survive. Either way, these policies are going to be substantially curtailed. We, I, I did talk about a segment the other day where they say socialism is still coming. This is kind of a counterpoint to that. So I, I, I'm not entirely sure what we can expect, but I can put it this way. 
The strong far left activism will probably be weakened, but we will see probably popular, you know, popular pushing for some progressive ideas. It's hard to know for sure, but I, I should also point out it's, it's hard to predict anything, man. Some people think the Democrats won't give up, that they're going to keep pushing left and embracing socialism, while others think it may be the end. I honestly don't know. Michelle Cabrera Cabrera tweets via the New York Times. This is why I'm running. This is why I'm disgusted. AOC didn't come home after Congress adjourned. She showed how little she cares about us. AOC was criticized for holding a virtual coronavirus forum in her plush DC abode. Now her campaign says that, you know, they had just gotten out and she was waiting to travel. You know, things were a bit hectic. Others said it doesn't matter. She shouldn't have done it. Again, I can't tell you. What I can point out is that there are progressives who are calling her out and there are progressives who are supporting her. So I can put it this way. I don't know if we're going to see socialism, you know, keep pushing forward. I think there's a strong likelihood it might. I think AOC is dropping out of this fight. And with that, we might see the end of this far left push into the Democratic Party. I'll tell you what, it's confusing to say the least. I can't, I can't predict accurately for the most part. And again, I'll stress, you know, with information changing every day, I don't know if, you know, what might happen tomorrow that will change my opinions. Jimmy Dore. Jimmy Dore is a pretty lefty guy. He said, for, for your information, reports that AOC voted against the stimulus are not accurate. There is no evidence whatsoever that AOC voted against the corporate giveaway. She did not call for a recorded vote. So she then forfeited her right to say which way she voted. Post vote, sta- post vote statements are propaganda. So, so here's a big issue that many progressive ha- progressives have. Populists on the left and the right opposed the stimulus package. Now, I actually disagree because I think the country was in serious trouble and we needed to get the stimulus rolling. And it's going to hurt. There's probably stuff in that's going to be really, really bad. The Democrats held it up. I thought that was bad. But Jimmy Dore, actually, I think, actually wanted AOC to, to, to block this. He tweeted, quote, a, 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 a fake quote. Instead of challenging Speaker Pelosi, I gave a grandstanding speech pointing fingers at Republicans while our own leadership and entire party gave trillions to oligarchs and corporatists, cementing inequality for decades. So now I do this instead of real relief. Welcome to D.C. Jimmy Dore ragging on AOC. It's an interesting point. You see, The Intercept says that AOC actually did stand up because she gave this grand speech. It shows that she was opposing the stimulus package. Interestingly, she could have actually held up the vote. So look, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what. I don't know what we can or can't expect necessarily. I know that there's a weird rift happening. The left is fractured. AOC is both praised and criticized. We can see there's a breaking of the ranks within the progressive left and on the Democratic Party as a whole. I think there's good reasons to argue that socialism will not end here, right? We saw Bernie Sanders, uh, a press secretary, drop Democratic social, the Democratic from her Democratic Socialist title and go full socialist, which means there are a lot of young people who will embrace these policies. However, coming in June, we are going to see a primary race which could unseat AOC. And if the left realizes they can't win, maybe they'll give these things up. More importantly, if they're fighting among themselves right now and can't figure it out, maybe they will give things up. Maybe it'll fall back to more moderate democratic policy because they know this country leans center right and their best path towards victory is compromise. I can tell you one thing from the New York Post. Trump's most devastating 2020 weapon will be Bernie bros, insiders say. What? (laughs) What do you mean Trump's secret weapon will be Bernie bros? Well, they say, quote, Bernie Sanders supporters have been laying the groundwork for many of the lines of attack that the Trump campaign will be using against Joe Biden in the general. 
a senior Trump campaign insider told The Post. From his serial dishonesty to his obvious issues to his attempts to cut social security, we are going to have a field day. The far left activists have been laying the groundwork for the Trump campaign attacks on Joe Biden. But do you think any of these progressives are going to get behind Joe Biden? I really, really doubt it. Bernie Sanders is out and these people are angry. That means Donald Trump is likely going to win. It's possible to say that the socialists will gain more power in the future, but for the time being, Donald Trump's going to take it. And this big progressive wave might be crushed in the, you know, in, in, throughout these primaries, actually. I mean, I can't tell you for sure, but I can also point out that Trump is going after populist ideas, whether it's left or right. Trump hints at using federal programs to provide coverage after Obamacare decision. The president and vice president offered vague assurances after Democrats ripped Trump's refusal to reopen Obamacare enrollment. Donald Trump hinted, well, he said it was unfair that uninsured people are, you know, suffering right now. And maybe he will, and and they, they report that he hinted he might open up Medicare to everyone. It's a very progressive position. More importantly, it's a populist position. I think you'll see a ton of people on the right, Trump supporters, roll with it begrudgingly. And I think you'll see a lot of populist leftists roll with it begrudgingly as well. Joe Biden has opposed all of this. Joe Biden has tried playing the mainstream. And now Trump is taking advantage of the fact that Joe Biden is an elitist, a corporatist candidate that most people don't want. I can't predict what's going to happen. I'll say it for the 15 billionth time. I do think, however, that we're going to see a big Bernie or bust contingent go to Donald Trump because he's going to give them a little bit more of what they want. Or at the very least, some of these far leftists might say the same thing they said in 2016. Vote for Trump. Accelerate it. Accelerationism. They think vote for Trump is a faster way towards the complete collapse. Maybe they're wrong. Maybe, maybe some of them just want to vote against Joe Biden. Maybe some of them just want the DNC to be punished for once again stealing this from Bernie Sanders. Some of the tweets that are going out right now is, are, are that I've, I've seen this numerous times. When Bernie Sanders started winning, when he crushed it in Nevada, they're saying that Barack Obama intervened and got these other Democrats like Buttigieg and Klobuchar to bow out, throw their weight behind Joe Biden, allowing Joe Biden to win and crush Bernie Sanders, forcing Bernie Sanders out. If the DNC establishment can pull the trigger and just do that, then I think it's fair to say that the far left encroachment into the Democratic Party may be waning. If people, and, and this is going to be a dramatic change. I mean, so much of the culture war is predicated on the encroachment of the far left. Michelle Caruso Cabrera, a moderate, if she gets elected, then what are videos like this going to be about? Am I going to still complain about the Democrats are doing? Probably Pelosi and Schiff for sure, because I really don't think they're doing a good job. But if Caruso Cabrera comes in and starts doing a, a good job and embracing moderate policies, policies that I probably agree with, it'll change the whole dynamic. Will we then return to normalcy where you have a moderate Democratic Party and a moderate conservative party and, and people arguing about certain single issue concepts that voters are concerned about? For the most part, Democrats and Republicans have agreed on much and often to the detriment of this country. I mean, when they agree on war and stuff like that. But something changed when people like AOC started winning, when this wave of weird authoritarian leftism and wokeness started emerging and the Democrats started embracing it. I don't know for sure. I also know that Joe Biden is trying to embrace some of this, desperately trying to win over Bernie's supporters, but I don't think you're going to get it. I think they hate you. I think they'll protest you at the DNC, assuming it happens, and they're not going to protest the Republicans. And I think some of them, maybe, maybe this time it'll be the same thing. 12 to 18% will throw their weight behind Donald Trump because, hey, at least he's a populist, right? It's hard to know for sure. But I'll leave it there. All I can really say is that AOC seems desperate. 
She's giving up on her longstanding position. It, you know, it's, it's fair to say maybe she's evolving. Maybe she's maturing. That's fine. That's fine. I don't think so. That's just my opinion. You can disagree with me. I think she's become desperate because she's got serious challengers and one who's actually being endorsed by the Chamber of Commerce and raising a million bucks, who's actually in the district every day. AOC's got to be in D.C. campaigning uh, or, or, or doing her job, I should say, in Congress. Well, she can. I mean, things are kind of shut down, shut down right now. Michelle Caruso Cabrera has all the time in the world, all the time in the world to prove herself to her district, something AOC can't do as she spends time in D.C. at her plush, lofty apartment with her infinity pool. We'll see how it plays out. My bet for now, AOC is going to lose. I, I think that, that's what I think right now. I, I, there's a lot of reasons why she might win. I don't, I don't want to say it's a strong prediction, but I lean slightly towards I think she will lose. And keep in mind, I was very, very wrong about 2018. I didn't think the Democrats would take the House, and they did. I could be totally wrong about this. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at youtube.com slash timcastnews at 6 p.m., and I will see you all then. Food banks are buckling under the demand. People have no money to buy food. So in cities across the country, they are seeking help. The food banks are running out of food, and eventually there will be no food for anyone. We're hoping that we have seen the peak of this crisis of the coronavirus, and we're now going to start heading out of this storm. We don't know for sure. There could be multiple waves. Depending on who you trust, some say that we might be locked down for a few more. We might open things up and then have to lock it down again because another wave of the virus will hit as soon as we open things up. Donald Trump was right when he said that we must consider reopening the economy. And all of a sudden, you see all of these people making these jokes, these memes. They don't understand what's really happening. And I'm going to break it down for you. Dare I say, I told you so. Food shortages are happening. And it's not for lack of wanting. It's, for a, it's because of the disruption in the system. Food banks buckle under demand and warn they will run out as millions of Americans go hungry and huge lines form across the country. Tell me, do you think that out of work, hungry people will simply go home and sit on their couches and just say, well, the food will come eventually? Or do you think we'll see something similar to Italy? where people organized raids of grocery stores on social media so they could go in and get food. In one story that I read a couple weeks ago, someone's mother said, please, we need food. And he said he was going to get it by any means necessary. And they end up raiding these grocery stores. So, this, so the government of Italy sends, depending on some report, I'll, I'll leave the numbers out because some are, are, are rather extreme, but they've been sending riot police to protect these stores. There are going to be, uh, there's going to be a very clear line between haves and have nots. Some people's jobs are safe. You've got companies where people get paid 50K a year or more to write about nonsensical celebrity BS, and they're still working. Meanwhile, regular Americans with jobs that actually matter, but aren't necessarily essential, are being put out of work. These people can't get access to food. What do you think they will do if they don't get it? That's the story I want to read to you first. But I want to show you this meme. Elon Musk tweeted out. I like Elon Musk. I think he's an all right guy. It is apparently a comet or some kind of large astral body slamming straight through the center of the earth. And the astronaut on the moon says, oh, God, the economy. And everybody laughs. It's very much a kind of lefty idea. You know, Donald Trump comes out and says, we got to protect the economy. And it's mostly the left that rags on him for this. But he is 100 percent correct. If people don't eat, people revolt and the system collapses and then you can't fix it. We're dangerously close. I'm hoping things are getting better, but I just don't know. 
We have these periods where the president and the, and the administration will say, hey, things are looking good. The numbers are getting better. Everything's going to be better. And then a few days later, they're like, the end is nigh. Prepare for the worst. So I don't know. I can only hope. But there's another meme that people are sharing. Dinosaurs. The meteor is coming to destroy the dinosaurs. Oh God, the economy. How is this going to affect my stocks? It's funny to make fun of this idea, but people don't realize what the economy is. The economy is the system that maintains everyone's ability to get access to resources they need. The longest time we've wasted our managerial energy on nonsensical BS, like, I don't know, insurance or whatever. I shouldn't call it nonsensical. There's reasons why we need this stuff, but you can't eat insurance. Now, as we're falling into a major crisis, you have all these people who don't understand the transmission of food, the the, the trading of food, the distribution of food is part of the economy. Logistical problems and collapses, as well as fear, is causing the food chain, the food supply chain to break down. Many people are wondering why it is they can't get their favorite food item at the grocery store. Some say there's no food shortages. Reading Reuters, they say it's not about a food shortage. It's about logistical problems. Other sites, other news outlets say, actually, no, it's because there's no more labor to do the job. Food will dry up. I can't tell you exactly what will happen, but I can't tell you this. If people don't work, if people can't work, if people can't produce the food, the, 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 the collapse will come. I remember reading a bunch of stories going back to uh, the Arab Spring because I, I was in Egypt during the Second Revolution and people were writing about what caused the spark. How did these countries, you know, have military dictatorships or whatever for decades and all of a sudden they collapsed? You know what it was? The price of food had gone up. People couldn't afford it anymore and they're not going to sit around and just die ideology, comfort, confidence, it all goes at the window. When someone is sitting there saying, I have no choice, it's me, or, you know, I either take the food or I starve, they're going to choose to take the food. And then what happens? People in Italy show up. Check this out. Look at this story. Italy risks losing grip in South with fear of looting and riots. They say police have been deployed in the streets of Sicily's capital, Palermo, amid reports gangs are using social media to plot attacks on stores. A bankrupt, bankrupt ferry company halted service to the island, including vital, vital supplies of food and medicines. As the state creaks under the strain of the coronavirus pandemic, officials worry the mafia may be preparing to step in. Well, I mean, good, as if somebody can get food to these people. It wasn't because there was no food. It was because the ferries that brought the food in stopped working. It's the same. It, it doesn't matter what's causing the shortage. The shortage exists. You can argue, no, 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 they're still growing the vegetables. The food isn't in short supply. We just can't get it to you. So look, I, I, a lot of people have said that sometimes I'll be hopeful. Sometimes I'll be more pessimistic. I read this stuff all day, every day. And the sto- it's, it's, it's going up and down. It's hard to know where we stand. You know, Donald Trump will come out and say something like things are looking good and the media will rip into shreds. So who am I supposed to believe? The president trying to be hopeful? I honestly have no idea. What I can tell you is I hate to say I told you so. And it's not the first time I did. Look at this story. Food banks across America are warning that they cannot cope with the huge surge in demand caused by mass unemployment during the coronavirus. With tens of millions of Americans unemployed, the cities across the nation are struggling to meet the demand for food as long lines are seen outside nonprofits who are feeding those hardest hit by the coronavirus pandemic. Food banks from Maine to Washington have warned that donations have plummeted while demand has surged many multiples. What do you think comes next? Maybe we get out of this soon. Okay. But some, some states are already under lockdown until June. We've been under lockdown for, what, a couple weeks? Do you think the people who are coming to food banks for food will just 
not need food, the people who are not donating them, you know why they're not donating them? Because they realize they need them now. This is scary stuff. I'm going to do something I don't normally like to do, but I have to do it because I'm going to say, I told you so. This is a promo spot for safeandreadymeals.com. I'm going to be completely honest with you. Revenue is down across the board for everybody. And for me especially, it was, I was hit fairly, fairly hard. A lot of people have been. This absolutely does help support my work in my channel. There's a reason why I'm not doing promos for other companies. I know you may have heard this spiel before, but to be completely honest, I don't want to be, you know, uh, shilling for products that I don't think are, are necessities or, you know, there's like video game companies and I rarely ever do this. But I wake up this morning and I see this story again. Yesterday, they were talking about food banks giving out food to millions, you know, thousands of families. Today, the food banks are saying they're running out of supplies. People aren't donating anymore. I told you so. Many of you listened and awesome. If you go to safeandreadymeals.com, they have emergency food supplies. I'm not saying you're going to need it. I'm hoping you don't. I think there's a possibility. Every day I see these stories, it seems the possibility that you will need it. It goes up. I personally have emergency food. I bought it a long time ago. If you go to Safe and Ready Meals right now, they are sold out of the two-week supply, but they do have a four-week supply. There is good news as a lot of the demand, uh, demand is going down a little bit for emergency supplies. They're getting, uh, shipping is, re- is restored. There's a delay in shipping, but they're starting to speed things up. You can go to safeandreadymeals.com. There's a discount. If you go, the link will be in the description. Look, I don't care if you don't want to buy the stuff. I've done, uh, I've maybe, maybe done about a dozen promos for them over the past couple of months. But I remember back in maybe like end of February, I was saying, hey man, you know, the goal with this stuff is you put it in the closet. It lasts for a long time. I mean, store it properly. I don't, I don't want to tell you how to store it. You, you, you got to follow the instructions. But uh, you, you pick it up and you hope you never need it. And, you know, go to the store and buy what you normally might need, would need. Many people laughed at me and mocked me and belittled me. And I, I, I don't care because I know that I'm right. We may never need this. I have my supply. I may never use it. I hope I don't. And it's very likely I won't. You know, the government, the, however they, they do it, are going to make sure the food supplies come in, I'd imagine. But how much do you want to, do you want to, do, do you want to be reliant on these food banks? So again, in the description below, you can get it if you're interested. If not, feel free to mock me in the comments. I don't care. Do you want to be one of these families lining up at a food bank? To be fair, many of these people lost their job, 16.6 million unemployment claims. They don't have the money to buy even emergency food. And I can respect that. I'm, I, I'm you know, I empathize. I sympathize. It's these people are, are getting what they can get how they can get it. But there will come a point, in my opinion, where when the food banks run out of food, they're going to turn to the grocery stores. If we can't get the economy kickstarted, I think there is a real risk that people will not have the food they need. By no means is this a call to hoard anything. You absolutely should not do that. Should you have emergency supplies? Yes. Like I said, that's a four-week supply. That's a long time. And it's like 200 bucks. If you can, if you can afford it, I know many of you can't. If you can, it, it's a good idea. In my personal opinion, I've, I've done it. I would do it again. But you don't have to listen to me. You can look at this story. The Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank planned to distribute two boxes of food to each vehicle, enough to make 40 meals. We can see all of these photos. You know what? My, my absolute respect and admiration to all of these people doing this. This is, this is incredible stuff to see people working as hard as, they, hard as they can to get food out to these families. But this is, I mean, this is dire straits. You know, the, the, this is volunteers trying to make sure people have food, but food is not infinite. And the distribution, the supply chains are not guaranteed. They're breaking down. Aerial footage from KDKA TV showed a long line of cars stretching over a mile. Long lines have been routine at emergency food giveaways held across the region in recent weeks. 
Many people are seeking help for the first time. Charlize McKinney, director at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank, told KDKA, calling the need troubling. They had jobs. They were able to care for their families, but their hours have been reduced or their jobs have been furloughed for, for a time being. I, look, for now, maybe you have the opportunity if you do. I don't think anyone wants to be in a line of thousands of families, hundreds, thousands of cars waiting to get a box of food. I've done this. I've gotten food through food banks before. I've been in, in poverty and in desperate need. And I'm eternally grateful to the people who, who donate, to the people who volunteer to make sure that others can get food. What we're seeing right now is unprecedented. I mean, I'm sure there have been disasters where things like this have happened before, for sure. But the global supply chains are being completely disrupted. CNN reporting, can't find what you want in the grocery store. Here's why. And they go over several reasons. They say food supply chains in developed economies are showing increased sign of strain as nationwide lockdowns designed to curb the spread of the coronavirus heap pressure on systems that had very little slack to begin with. The result is empty store shelves, panicked buyers. At the very least, if you don't want to buy from, you know, the, the sponsor spot that I, that I just sh- shouted out, go to the store and just make sure you keep a decent stock, not panic buy. Don't stock up for a year. Some people did like a year's supply. I mean, maybe if, if you know, all hell breaks loose, they'll be laughing while the rest of us aren't. But I, I feel like just having a little bit more than you normally need, maybe some beans and rice. They say the transportation links that move food around the globe are being tested in unprecedented ways. Ship owners are struggling to change crews and move goods between ports. Airlines have grounded thousands of planes. Travel restrictions are also clogging up the road, clogging up road networks and making it difficult for farm workers to get where they are needed. At the end, at, and at the end of food supply chain, supermarkets that have come to rely on just-in-time deliveries have been upset by huge demand and panic buying. Global stocks of staple commodities, such as wheat, corn, and rice, are at healthy levels said Maxco Torero Cullen, chief economist for the United Nations Food Agricultural Organization. But logistics bottlenecks need to be identified and resolved quickly to ensure goods can get to where they are needed and protectionist policies are avoided. Some countries are banning exports. In this story from Bloomberg, just the other day, food supply fears are growing as Romania bans grain exports. Countries are saying, hey, man, we're going to take care of our own. Many countries are getting angry because food exports are being withheld. Commercial burglaries are up in New York. People have already started looting. I don't want to sit here and scream the end is nigh. This story is from today. Countries are restricting exports of food. You want to talk about bottlenecks. The, you know, the, the UN wants to make sure food can keep flowing. That's fine. The food exists. I hear you. But some countries are saying, uh-uh, we're keeping it. We're not giving it to anybody. And if you can't even get it on a boat and get it in a truck to get it to the place it needs to go, the f- it, it, what's the, what was the saying from Watchmen? I'm sure stories of uh, ample food will be as calming to a drowning man seeing a picture of oxygen or something to that effect. Yeah, we can tell people all day and night, don't worry, there's tons of food and you can't get it. So it's, it's, it's not going to be very comforting to tell people this. I think the best thing you can do is make sure you've taken care of yourself. I've looked at some of the data some of the data for the um, hospitalizations and the use of ICU beds. And it seems like we may be hitting a peak. Projections show that from here on out, things might start getting better. That's really, really good news. So maybe, maybe you don't got to do anything. I don't know. I really don't. The best I can do is say, here's what I'm going to do. I don't know what's right for you or you or for your family. I have my personal opinions, but my opinions are based on who I am. I'm a 34 year old dude living in the suburbs. I decided to buy some emergency food because I started seeing these stories. But it's not so much that I I saw this was likely, you know, back in February. And sure enough, 
This was before there was a real uh, pandemic. It was before we locked things down. A lot of people were downplaying the severity. Apparently, the U.S. government wasn't as much as I had been critical of Trump in the past. It seems now based on a document released, we know that Trump was given a warning January 29th that this was going to get serious and he took immediate action. He did later go on to the, to the media and say things like, it's, 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 not, it's just like the flu, don't worry, we're going to take care of it. Based on the information we've received uh, so far, that Trump created the task force, suspended travel from China, he may not have taken the actions needed as fast as he needed to do it, but it seems like he was taking it seriously. Perhaps the reason he downplayed it was to avoid panic and fear, which we are now seeing kind of grip many countries. So he'll get criticized for it. There, you know, some people are, are you know, tweeting in all caps, they knew and they didn't tell you. So which is it? Trump knew and didn't tell you, or he was ignoring it and downplaying it. I'm not here to play those games. Check this out. From the Washington Post, this story from just two days ago. As borders harden during the pandemic, some countries look to hold on to their own food. I'll tell you what I think. I could be wrong. Completely, completely wrong. I do not see it ending here. Back in February, I said, hey, it would be wise to have emergency supplies. You want some water? You want a first aid kit? You want some food? I, I am, I'm absolutely just confused by some people. They, 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 they want to laugh and mock and say, you know, belittle me for saying you should have supplies. I don't understand how it is that we could have a culture telling people to buy Band-Aids and fire extinguishers. When was the last time you used a fire extinguisher? I've never used one. And I got a bunch of them because sometimes there's fire. I got a first aid kit. I think I used it like seven months ago because I cut my hand or something. Got a little cut while like slicing some veggies or something like that. I don't know what happens. No, I think I was working on some, some project outside. And I put a Band-Aid on and then a couple days later I took it off. I, I couldn't even tell you where the first aid, it's probably bad. I don't know where I put the first aid kit. Oh, no, 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 no. I do know where it is. We, 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 we took stock of our first aid kit as things started getting crazy. I know where the fire extinguisher is. It's like in plain view. But all of these people would say, don't buy food. And they would laugh about it. And it's just crazy to me because like you eat every day. I don't put out fires every day, but I have a fire extinguisher. I literally eat every day. So it's like, yeah, I should probably have some food. If countries are starting to lock down, restrict exports, if supply chains are being disrupted, and we don't know when this will end, it could extend into June or even August. Dr. Fauci saying that we might have to have temporary release, you know, the lockdown and then lockdown again until we find a vaccine. What does that mean? Is the military going to have to go in and guarantee supply chain? I don't know, man. Maybe, maybe that's what will happen. I'm just, I, I, it's just part of me. I'm just so confused, you know? Why can't people think ahead? World could face food crisis in wake of coronavirus, UN and the uh, World Trade Organization. It's like, it's like screaming in our faces that we need to take care of ourselves. You know, I, I will say it's kind of funny. A lot of people who are watching are probably, you know, suburban or semi-rural, uh, you know, in rural areas, because I get messages from people all the time, you know, kind of interestingly, I hear from a lot of people saying they prepared a long time ago not because I think the world is going to end. But, you know, when you live outside of a city, you don't have immediate access to all of the resources a person in a city would. You buy, you buy, you take stock of, uh, of what you got and you, you buy big bags of rice and beans and other non-perishable foods, dry goods, just because it's normal. You know, uh, friends of mine that live in more rural areas are like, we just regularly have a ton of foods stocked up, not because we think anything bad's going to happen, but it's because the grocery store is an hour away. So I was, I was recently talking to uh, somebody who lives out in like a really rural area saying that their town has one small grocery store with a very small stock. 
And when they want to go to the grocery store, it's about 45 minutes to an hour away. So they go once a week or once every other week and get as much as they can. So for a lot of people, when, when all this started going down, more, you know, rural type, uh, uh, you know, more rural areas, I'd imagine a lot of people were already like, well, I got a couple months already. You know, a lot of people in cities don't have anything and they can't. I mean, if you live in a cubicle, like apartment in New York City, what are you going to have? Like a cupboard you can put maybe a week's worth of food in and you're going to rely on the system around you, which is already under stress and buckling. And we're already seeing commercial burglaries soaring. What do you think happens when these people at these food banks don't get food? I, I don't know, man. I'll, I'll be honest with you. There, there's a lot of news uh, every day. Some of it's kind of boring and repetitive. And I'm torn between, you know, hearing Donald Trump say things are getting better. We're doing really, really well. And I'm like, OK, it sounds like we're going to be fine. We go long periods of hearing like things are OK. But we just got a story about mass graves being dug in New York City. Some people say, no, no, this is not a news story. They've been doing this all the time. They always dig these mass graves in on Hart Island in New York because of the unclaimed dead. That's true. But they've ramped up the digging of mass graves because the amount of people dying has reached a very high number. It's, it was like 2,000, around 2,000 people lost their lives just yesterday from COVID. I'm hoping everything returns to normal. This is the worst it's going to get. If this is the worst it's going to get, then we're going to start see- seeing supply chains be restored. We're going to start seeing the food come back and you won't need to have done anything. I hope that's what happens. But I also think it's important to say outside of food or anything else that you remain vigilant, you pay attention to what's going on around you. It could be that many people are trying to scare you. I don't know. The media wants to shock you into reading their stories. I have no idea. Uh, I, I read the same story, you know, the story, same as everybody else. People accuse me of fear mongering, but it's like, look, you can say it, but I'm reading CNN, New York Times and Bloomberg, same as most other people. If you're not reading it, maybe you're not as worried. I don't know. I'm taking precautions. I'm going to tell you what I'm doing. Maybe it's just uh, it's overhyped or maybe they're all downplaying it. Maybe they've been downplaying it from the very beginning. Maybe the media has been downplaying it along with the government because they don't want people to panic. That's true. They were. Maybe they're downplaying it right now because they don't want you to freak out. But we have food banks across the country saying they're going to run out of food. And we're then going to have millions of people with no food. I can only imagine what comes after that. Maybe it's maybe it's doom saying, I don't know. All I can really tell you is this is how I feel. I'm not trying to make anyone feel a certain way or no real agenda or anything. I'm just sitting here thinking, is it getting better or is it getting worse? And I've had tons of people tell me to get in my van and just take off already. I'm not even kidding. So I have the van that I built for those that aren't familiar. It's a camper production van. People have said, don't waste time. Go now. And I'm like, is it really that bad? Like I, I, go to, I can go to Walmart and they got what I need. They don't have the, uh, the, the milk that I like, but they have milk. They have supplies. But there is, you know, you can see that, you know, there, there, there clearly is a disruption in, in food supply. I went there uh, maybe a week and a half ago maybe 20% of the bread they normally have, uh, big sections of yogurt cleaned out, eggs, mac and cheese, completely gone. The dairy section was almost empty. There was still milk though. So I like to believe that things will get better. They say that the food is there. Don't worry. It's not going anywhere. They just need to get the supply chains up and running. And hopefully we do. And hopefully this is the worst of it. Tell me, I, I, it's, it's up to you which, which bet you want to place, right? That it's going to get better or going to get worse. Perhaps we should prepare for the worst, but hope for the best. I don't know. If you don't like what I had to say, if you disagree with me, you're fine. It's fine. You can do that. You can think I'm crazy. You can hate me for everything I said. All I can tell you is the exact same thing I would tell my friends, tell my family. It's how I feel based on what I'm reading. I'll leave it there. 
Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel, and I will see you all then. A formal criminal complaint has been filed against Joe Biden by a woman named Tara Reid, who says that in 1993, nearly 27 years ago, he had sexually assaulted her. I can already hear the chants now. Surely in the next few days, hordes of feminist activists of the Me Too movement from Time's Up will storm the doors of the Supreme Court demanding justice, just like we saw with Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah, no, that's not going to happen. And we all know it. Alyssa Milano has come out in defense of Joe Biden saying, don't believe all the women. We have due process in this country. And it's really funny because she claimed the opposite during the Brett Kavanaugh thing. Now, look, I don't think anything's really going to come of this. And I got to say, I don't care which side of the political tribe, you know, which which political faction you're a part of, what you believe in. It's a 30 year old allegation. There's no hard evidence. The statute of limitations is up. I'm not entirely convinced this is anything other than at this point, politics now, I'm not trying to disrespect Tara Reid or, or any other victim in any other circumstance. I, I want to be fair and, and, and respect, you know, what she's saying. But let's 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 be real, be it her or anyone else, anyone who, who it's 30 years ago. I don't know what you'd expect me to do. I don't mean to be disrespectful, but I'm sorry. I don't think you can pull up any evidence, especially if the story is that you two were alone and you said he did something. He's probably going to say he didn't do it. But I will be I got I got I to say, like, Joe Biden is, is a creepy, touchy dude who likes to grab women without their consent. And we know this for a fact. It's on video. And the man has apologized for it. So I do lean towards believing this one. But what, what are we supposed to do? You know, uh, I'm sure it'll look bad for him. Sort of, you know, maybe some political campaign ads will come out. For the most part, it looks really bad, uh, you know, for, for Alyssa Milano and other Me Too activists who are refusing to speak up about Joe Biden or refuse to call him out because they set the standard. You know, they're the ones who are banging on the door of the Supreme Court demanding action over Brett Kavanaugh. All right, well, Joe Biden, he's right here. Certainly some women have actually called this out. Many feminists have actually called it out. But now we can see who the grifters are. People like Alyssa Milano with no principles. She immediately says, yeah, I don't know. I like Joe Biden, so he gets a free pass. Yeah, let's read the story from the Daily Mail. They say, a woman who served on former Vice President Joe Biden's Senate staff and who accused him of sexually assaulting her in 1993 has filed an official criminal complaint against the now presumptive Democratic presidential frontrunner. Tara Reid filed the complaint about the alleged assault with the Washington Metropolitan Police Department in Washington, D.C. She then tweeted on Friday that the statute of limitations on the allegation had passed but that there is justice in just being heard in a dignified way. I'm absolutely, absolutely opposed to this. You want, you want to accuse someone of, of, of a crime, you will damage their reputation, you will drag them through the coals, it will cause them problems. And if you can't prove it, I don't want to hear it. We've already got problems enough with how the court of public opinion works. If this is your sense of justice, leveling an accusation that he can't defend himself from, I'm not a fan. Reed had said that Biden shoved his hand under her skirt and penetrated her with his fingers, while they stood in a Senate corridor, an accusation he denied when she first made the claim last month. She tweeted, gratitude for the balanced and fair report. Of course, my case is outside the criminal statutes of limitations, but there is justice in just being heard in a dignified way. Now, yeah, she's entitled to say it, but I really, I, I do not have a positive view of 30-year-old accusations that can't be proven that you know people will latch onto because they don't like Joe Biden. That being said, we've got videos of Joe Biden, you know, touching young women in inappropriate ways and them wincing and cringing, and he had to apologize for it. So believe what you will. The complaint was filed Thursday with the police department's sexual assault unit business insider reports. A department spokesperson was not immediately able to provide a copy of the police report when DailyMail.com reached out. 
The spokesperson for the candidate also was not immediately available. Biden's campaign came to his defense in late March when Reid first made the allegation on a podcast. She said, or uh, I'm sorry, we have a communications director. Women have the right to tell their story and reporters have an obligation to rigorously vet those claims. Deputy campaign manager and communications director Kate Bettingfield said, we encourage them to do so because these accusations are false. Let me tell you this right now. I'm no fan of how these accusations play out, but you, you re- you're reaping what you have sown. It, it's, it's not the conservatives who decided to use these accusations against people. They're just weaponizing what they're using, what you created. Why it was Joe Biden himself said, believe women. Alyssa Milano said, believe women. This woman went to the Time's Up organization and they refused to help her. Conflict of interest. Joe Biden's a political figure. Oh no, that could violate our 501c3 status or something to that effect. It, at the very least, you could, you could argue, maybe, maybe this is political, maybe there's nothing going to come out of it, but it does shine a light on the hypocrisy of Me Too and these feminists. I mean, Alyssa Milano has been completely exposed as a grifter. Even Rose McGowan came out and said, you are just a fraudster. You're the DNC shill, blah, blah, blah. Yup. And now we know it. There's no way she's going to argue out of this one. I'm surprised anybody still cares. But it was funny because Alyssa Milano tweeted that in her mentions, Bernie supporters and Trump supporters are indistinguishable at this point. And I'm like, so you're just acknowledging that basically everyone hates you. Yeah, because you have no principles. If you want to come out and say, I believe this, so we must do X, people expect you to stand true to that. Now, all of a sudden, you like Joe Biden? Uh, you know what, man? Mm-mm. Don't want to hear it. They say Reed was among the women who came out last year alleging he was too handsy. She had said that in 1993, when she was in her mid-20s and Biden was still a senator from Delaware, uh, touched her several times and made her feel uncomfortable. Reed also said her duties were cut after she re- refused to serve drinks at an event, uh, Biden, she claims, had wanted her serving because he liked her legs. The former staffer said she later felt pushed out and left in August 1993 after only nine months. Reed, who had been supporting Biden's rival, Bernie Sanders, then expanded on her claim to journalist Katie Halper for her Katie Halper show podcast on March 25th. She also spoke with Hill.TV and Vox. Just before filing the complaint, Reed tweeted, that those who silence sexual assault and, and, uh, and sexual harassment survivors are complicit in the alleged abuse without naming who she was referring to. She said, I was in my 20s. I trusted my boss, Joe Biden. She also wrote in the tweet, I want the generation behind me to feel the empowerment to lift their voice and stand in truth, no matter how powerful the man or forces that enable him. This to me just sounds like the same thing that happened with Brett Kavanaugh. So you mean to tell me they say that she was supporting Bernie Sanders? Reed was supporting Bernie Sanders. Well, I'm not going to accuse her of lying, but it is fairly advantageous that someone you oppose politically just so happens to be a person who did this thing to you. It could actually just be the reason she opposes Biden and was supporting Bernie is because Joe Biden did this thing to her. But don't be surprised if you start seeing seeing people level uh, those accusations. Like, I, I don't I don't know of any sane person any honest person who genuinely believes Brett Kavanaugh did the things they accused him of. They were absolutely psychotic. And half of them were proven to be false when the accusers recanted. Like the one guy who said that Brett Kavanaugh was on a boat or something. I don't remember. With that woman who claimed that Brett Kavanaugh was lining up outside of rooms to a bunch of guys take advantage of a woman locked in a room. I'll put it that way. I I know it's not a very family friendly segment, but I'll try and keep the language toned down as best I can. Like these stories were insane. It would be the most insane scandal ever if this was happening in universities. It's just not true. 
or in all likelihood, it's not true at all. So now we have a story of a woman supporting Bernie Sanders, accuses Joe Biden of being handsy. And then once Biden is, is nearing, you know, victory, she accuses him of full on criminal assault and files a complaint against him well beyond stat- the statute of limitations. We, we can't function this way, man. I'm sorry. Society can't work with people coming out 30 years later and claiming things happened if we can't prove it happened. I don't like the idea. Look, I don't like Joe Biden. The dude's not, not all there. We've got, there's like a website like JoeBiden.info or something where you can see all the videos of him touching little girls. But I'm, I'm not interested in dragging someone through the court of public opinion with an accusation that they can't defend against. Absolutely not. So we can see here some photos of her, I guess. They say Biden's campaign pushed back vehemently after the claims, providing a character witness to DailyMail.com and other outlets. No, 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 no. I'm sorry, Joe Biden. You have dug your own grave on this one. We have seen the photos of you and the videos of you. And even after Joe Biden apologized for being handsy with these little girls, he's still doing it. And he makes creepy jokes about it. I don't think a character witness is going to help you, bro. They say it included a statement from Marianne Baker, an executive assistant to Biden from 1982 to 2000. In all my years working for Senator Biden, I never once witnessed or heard of or received any reports of inappropriate conduct, period. Not from Ms. Reed, not from anyone, Baker said in a statement provided, to, uh, provided by the campaign. I have absolutely no knowledge or memory of Mrs. Reed's accounting of events, which would have left a searing impression on me as a woman professional and as a manager. These clearly false allegations are a whoa, 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 Joe Biden's campaign. Believe all women. What do you mean false allegations? Unproven, perhaps. But how dare you come out and discount her lived experience? These clearly false allegations are in complete contradiction to both the inner workings of our Senate office and to the man I know and worked so closely with for almost two decades. Reed told Halper that the assault occurred after she was told to deliver a gym bag to then Senator to the then senator. Reid said she tracked down Biden on Capitol Hill and he remember, remembered her name. And then we were alone and it was the strangest thing. There was no like exchange, really. He just had me up against the wall, she said. She said she was wor- wearing a work skirt, but no pantyhose. He just had me up against the wall and that wall was cold, she said. His hands were on me and underneath my clothes. He went down and she uh, and describes what he did to her, which I'll avoid reading. She said that when she pulled back, Biden looked annoyed. Reed said, Biden said to her, come on, man, I heard you liked me. He implied that I had done this, she told the podcast host. At first, Reed didn't want to mention the other quote that got stuck in her head, but then she told Halper what it was. You are nothing to me, she claimed, the senator said to her, nothing. So there you go. You know what, man? I'm not, look, I'm, I'm like I mentioned, I'm not a fan of 30-year-old accusations, but you know what? I can certainly stand on my principles, but what do you want me to do here, Biden and Biden supporters? Uh, do you want me to now defend you after everything you've done, everything you've said? Do you think I'm going to come out and be like, yes, I agree with the principles? Well, I'll tell you what, on principle, I will say, um, this, this means nothing to me. I, I don't know what to tell you. It's politically expedient for, for somebody supporting Bernie Sanders. We can't prove it. 27 years ago, what do you want me to say? But I will tell you what, this is what you get. Don't, you know, what's, what's fascinating to me about the left is that they never seem to understand the things they do come around again. Back to them. You want to censor speech? Yes. And then we invariably see people get their speech censored. There's a really funny story about the anarchy. There, there was some shop that had the anarchy symbol on their front storefront and had to get, it was ordered to be removed because this is up in Canada. They considered the anarchy symbol hate speech or something to that effect. 
You advocate for these rules, and then it comes all the way back around and comes right for you. Don't empower a system because then you'll face this. I'm not going to say whether or not our allegations are true or false. I'll just tell you this. If you want to levy the kind of insane false accusations that you did against Brett Kavanaugh, you think you won't like, look, if you're going to claim Brett Kavanaugh 30 years ago, you know, threw a woman on the bed, jumped on her, and then they rolled around and she ran away. That's not even anywhere nearly as bad as what Joe Biden has done, or I'm sorry, what he's been accused of doing. Do you not think that it would only take one woman who knows Biden or not, maybe doesn't even know him, but just claim that it happened? We can't go back and track every movement Joe Biden made in the past 30 plus years. The, the, the woman uh, who claimed, who made the accusations against Brett Kavanaugh, he said he, he, he doesn't remember knowing her. And many people who, who were uh, testifying, or I'm sorry, many people who she said were witnesses said they didn't even remember it. So you have this extremely broken and flimsy story. What do you think will happen then when you try and use this for political power? Well, sure enough, at some point, they will come for you. Here's what I don't like about this story. A Bernie Sanders supporter. Yeah, it was a lot. It's a lot of Bernie Sanders supporters, supporters who are these ends justify the means type personalities. So hearing that is no surprise to me. They're the typically Antifa types willing to lie, cheat and steal to get whatever they want. Perhaps this story is in line with by any means necessary. But you know what? I'm not going to I'm not going to go that far. I, I already broached the subject. Maybe that was too much. If you're going to come and tell me that I have to believe all women, okay, all right, I'll believe her because it's what you want, right? Now, Brett, you, you say we should believe all women when it comes to like Brett Kavanaugh and people like that. Well, the conservatives don't want that standard. They want the typical standard of innocent until proven guilty. And I respect that standard. So I'll go with that one. But you, as the person, Joe Biden, who asked for this, I'll hold you to the standard you asked for. Congratulations. You did, <laughs> you did this because I believe all women. It's what you asked me to believe. It's what you asked me to think. All right. Congratulations. You get it. I'll leave this one there. Stick around. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. YouTube.com slash Timcast. It is a different channel, and I will see you all then. Doing his show from his home, Bill Maher said what needed to be said. He called out China, the Democrats, and the media. He said China has some responsibility in this, and he says, and we're going to call it the China virus because it's the rule you made up. You call all these other viruses by their location. Scientists do it, and they tend to be left-leaning. He asked, is there anything the Democrats won't get offended by? But of course, for this, Bill Maher is being ripped to shreds. To shreds, I say. You see, Bill Maher is in a kind of similar position to me. Moderate liberal types who have no problem calling out the Democrats for being insane. Bill Maher, of course, has Trump derangement syndrome. I don't. So as someone who's not a big Trump guy like, you know, like, like, like me, I'm not big on Trump, but I'm not crazy. So I'm not going to sit here and screech like a, like a banshee. Bill Maher does. And he says some dumb things, but he's also saying some good things. And because of this, the left will come and tear him apart. So while we have the actual story, Bill Maher blasts PC uproar over Chinese virus label. We should blame China. The Daily Beast says Bill Maher goes on despicably racist rant against China over coronavirus. Marlo Stern, I don't know if you're Asian, but please stop. Like you said in your subheader. No, I'm not going to sit here and get lectured by you. Here's what the Fox, here's what Fox News reports, and then we'll show you all the outrage. Real-time host Bill Maher slammed the PC police Friday night for overreacting to the Chinese virus labeling controversy. As the coronavirus outbreak continued spreading across the U.S., President Trump and others sparked a national debate by referring to the disease as the Chinese coronavirus or the Wuhan virus because it began infecting people in Wuhan, China. 
But critics of the labels called them racist and xenophobic, insisting such terms would incite hate crimes against Asian Americans. Marr mocked the complainers, listing several other illnesses that are named after their locations of origin, such as the West Nile virus, Spanish flu, and MERS, Middle East Respiratory Syndrome. You can't yell at someone for breaking a rule you just made up, he said, adding, so why should China get a pass? The HBO star singled out Rep. Ted Liu, a Democrat, for condemning the term Wuhan virus when he tweeted that the virus is not constrained by country or race, but just as stupid to call it the Milan virus. Bill Maher said, no, that would be way stupider because it didn't come from Milan. And if it did, I guarantee we'd be calling it the Milan virus, Maher reacted. Jesus effing Christ. Can't we even have a pandemic without getting offended? No, Bill, maybe you should wake up to this. I do think it's funny because I constantly have people on the right telling me to take the red pill or wake up or shut up. Or it's like, dude, whatever. Look, man, Bill Maher is where he is. I'm grateful he'll call this out. I'm where I am. Be grateful that I'll call out what I call out. We don't always agree on everything. But the one thing that Bill Maher, me, and the people on the right can all agree with is that these people are pretending to be offended because they're insane or they're lying. Let's all get the normal people back, right? Look, if you're conservative, you can hate Bill Maher ever, like, and hate everything he says. I'd, I'd love to be there. I'd love to be back in a world where Bill Maher says, I think we should have, you know, this policy. And the conservatives go, ah, what a moron. That's how it used to be. He said, seriously, it scares me that there are people out there who would rather die from the virus than call it by the wrong name. This isn't about vilifying a culture. This is about facts. This is about life and death. The real time host then blasted the PC police for saying it's racist to attack another nation's cultural practice, pointing to the wet markets that remain open in China. He said, it's not racist to point out that eating bats is bat as crazy, Mar exclaimed before citing experts, including Dr. Fauci, who have sounded the alarm on wet markets. So when someone says, what if people hear Chinese virus and blame China? The answer is, we should blame China, not Chinese Americans, but we can't stop telling the truth because racists get the wrong idea. There's always going to be idiots out there who want to indulge their prejudices. But this is an emergency. Don't we have bigger tainted fish to fry? He went on and made many of these points. He said China was a dictatorship that for decades enforced a one child per family policy under penalty of forced sterilization. But you can't close down the farmer's market from hell. Maybe to use that iron fist, maybe to use that iron fist and pound it down like the whole world depends on it, because it kind of does. And I hope that if someone told Americans that eating hot pockets could cause a worldwide pandemic, that we would have the good sense to stop doing it. Although I wouldn't bet on it. Well, for his accurate assessment. Bill Maher, once again, is a despicable racist, says Daily Beast, who writes, I regret to inform you that Bill Maher is at it again. You know what, man? I don't, I don't even know what's happening in the, anymore in this world, and I just don't care. You know, there are conservatives who rag on me all the time, progressives who rag on me. Then there are some people who are on the left and on the right who don't rag on me. I don't care. I, I just, I do not care. I have no idea. The whole world is spinning upside down, left and right. Left is up. Christian is 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 uh, acceptable to have hate speech against, but Islam isn't. I go over to the r slash atheism subreddit, and they're trying to very carefully dance around their criticism of Islam and Abrahamic religion while claiming to be atheists and ragging on Christians all day. Nothing makes sense. I have no idea what anybody is doing. So Bill Maher, welcome to the club. Everything's falling apart. I'm going to keep saying what I say. I hope Bill Maher keeps saying what he says. I'm glad Bill Maher stands up for what he believes in. They write on Friday night after a softball interview with Bill de Blasio and a few other chummy chats, 
Uh, the real time host aired his latest new rule segment, and it was focused on how Americans should be able to call COVID-19 the Chinese virus. And then he goes on and blah, blah, blah. He says there was more, of course, like comparing the animals sold at Chinese wet markets to nuclear bombs. How is that racist? People are eating disgusting, disease ridden animals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, Bill Maher. Here's what he says. Yes, Bill Maher. There will always be idiots out there who want to indulge their prejudices. And tonight that idiot was you. Yeah, very funny. Now we got the tweets. Sam Morrill tweets. He's a stand up comic. Bill Maher has been socially distancing himself from comedy for years. Ha 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 ha. You're very funny, Sam. Josh says, these are verified. I don't know who these people are. They're, they're verified Twitter users, like it matters. The Bill Maher show is actually really good if you fast forward through the monologue, all the bits like new rules and most of his speaking throughout. <laughs> it's so funny. It's so funny that nobody even responded to your tweet. Lexi Alexander says, saw Bill Maher trending, hoped he died from coronavirus. No such luck. What is, what is with these people? Like what world do they live in? I don't know. But you know what? The culture war is fracturing in every direction possible. There's no real factions anymore. Bill Maher comes out and says something that conservatives are cheering for. I don't know what to tell you, man. You know, just the other day on the Timcast IRL podcast, which you can check out Monday through Friday at 8 p.m. over at youtube.com slash Timcast IRL, I was talking to my buddy Adam. And Adam is like uh, very similar to me in our politics, lived in Brooklyn or in in the New York area for a very, very long time. And he was he was doing the bit where, you know, he said, everybody can be racist. It doesn't matter what race you are. I had to explain to him that was a conservative position. And he wasn't aware. There are a lot of people, regular Americans, who aren't initiated in the culture war. So they're still living in this past of what it means to be liberal conservative. It doesn't make sense. So it's funny when people will say that Tim Pool is or isn't red-pilled. I don't know what you're talking about. I agree with Bill Maher on a bunch of things. But guess what? Bill Maher accurately calling out what Dr. Fauci said is insane, eating animals in wet markets, apparently is a conservative position because no matter what you do, if you're talking about anybody of any other race or culture, you must be a bigot. Now, here's a funny thing. I'm not Chinese, all right? I'm, I'm for the most part Korean, but I am part Japanese as well. And I really don't care if somebody is going to rag on any of this stuff, if it's bad. If someone's doing something bad, call it out. I don't care. It's not racist because a country does something bad. Is it racist to call out Norway for whaling? No, it's not. Oh, but Nor- Nor- Norwegians are white people, I guess. So that goes around their weird dogmatic ideology, which isn't based in reality. If you want to call out some cultural practice because you think it's bad, it's not racist to do so. If they have wet markets anywhere for any culture, I don't care. It's a bad thing. Bill Markin pointed out, why can't anyone else? Now, Bill Maher and I disagree on a lot of politics. As much as many people like to, you know, act like, okay, you know, what's, what's funny is how many people say things like Tim should just admit he wants to vote for Trump or he's a Trump supporter or whatever that, like it, it hasn't occurred to anybody left or right that you can be fairly ambivalent. You know what I mean? Like all these Trump supporters are convinced because I rag on Democrats so often, I must be a Trump supporter. Well, some can accurately point out that's not the case. The Democrats have gone nuts. You've got Ted Lieu saying you can't call it the Chinese virus. Bill Maher is pointing that out. And Bill Maher is not a conservative as much as these activists want to claim he is. So I don't know what is going on for the most part. I, I really, in terms of like the culture war, why the factions are what they are, where the, where the, 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 the lines in the sand are being drawn. Some people have said authoritarian versus libertarian, perhaps. Some have said populist versus elitist, maybe. Authoritarian versus, you know, libertarian. Did I say that one? Nationalist versus globalist, whatever. I have no idea. 
You've got freaky deaky dogma from the from the social justice left. And then you have like liberal free thought from whatever, I don't know, a different group. So because the left has embraced this, it makes everyone who opposes it right wing. I don't even know, man. I don't know. All right. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you what. Bill Maher needs to get over his TDS for sure. Joe Biden would be a very, very, very bad president. Okay, the dude is going to sit there just confused half the time. That's not what this country needs. You can not like the president. You can think all the bad things about him, but he's not that bad. Now, some people say that you should vote for the lesser of two evil, two evils. I don't know. And some people have said that Tim Pool, like there's like a caricature of me as some person who has always said, like, I would never vote for Trump. Oh, oh harumph. I've said it in the past. But if you pay attention to the content, I've said he certainly made it easier to consider him for president. And I've said consistently the Democrats have made it easier than ever to consider Trump for a vote. I've also said that with his doing, doing a good job on the coronavirus, I'm actually looking at whether or not he would be the right choice. Some people have pointed out that Joe Rogan said he'd rather have Trump than Biden, as if that means Joe would actually vote for Trump. That's not what he said. I completely agree with Joe Rogan. I would rather have Trump than Biden. If it looked like Joe Biden might actually win the presidency, you might actually see me vote for Trump because that's insane. But I really hate the idea of voting for the lesser of two evils. I have no idea what's going on with the culture. We'll all say it for the millionth time. Bill Maher is right. I agree with the liberal. Bernie Sanders called it open borders. I agree with the progressive, but then Bernie flip-flopped. You know what? It's all going to burn down. Nothing makes sense. I'm over it. I got a couple more segments coming up for you in a few minutes, and I will see you all shortly. Amid all of the weird authoritarianism we're seeing, this story may be one of the stupidest things I have ever seen. But maybe I should take that back a little bit. This is actually a very serious conundrum, but one thing they probably shouldn't do is take away the kids of doctors. See, you have this ER doctor, this woman named Dr. Teresa Green. She's an emergency room physician in Florida. Well, her ex-husband said that because of her increased uh, exposure to COVID-19, he should have sole custody of their daughter, and the courts agreed. On the surface, I think, I mean, the dad is right, right? Well, let me read this for you, and then I'll break this down, because this is a serious conundrum that I ultimately think you you can't take the daughter away from a doctor. You want doctors to quit, and you want things to fall apart. This is how you do it. The Daily Mail says, heroic ER doctor fighting on coronavirus front lines has her four-year-old daughter taken away from her by judge who grants custody to her ex-husband due to her significantly heightened exposure to COVID-19. Dr. Teresa Green, an emergency room physician in Florida, has temporarily lost shared custody of her four-year-old daughter because of her work saving lives during the coronavirus crisis. Her ex-husband filed for temporary sole custody of the, little, of the little girl due to the mother's significantly heightened exposure to COVID-19, and a judge granted it, even though Green has tested negative for the deadly virus. Well, I don't think that matters even if she did. She could contract it at any moment. Green is now facing an impossible and cruel choice between being a mother and her duty as a medic while the U.S. healthcare system buckles under the weight of the pandemic and grapples to find enough healthcare workers to keep COVID-19 patients alive. She said, I can't come home and hug my daughter. We're there on the front line. We're risking our lives. And to take our children away from us, I just think is so cruel. She said it was discriminatory against healthcare workers who are divorced or sole carriers. How can you tell me? Because I'm divorced and I can't come home. Obviously, I have to shower, but then I can't come home and hug my daughter. It's really discriminatory against divorced parents, and particularly, I feel, for the children. Now, this is a a difficult position. I don't think it's discriminatory. I don't agree with the court. Well, look, I understand why they did it. It's it's true. This little girl has heightened exposure, and the dad is right to want to keep her safe. This is a doctor who likely comes into contact all the time, and even if she's testing negative, could contract it at any point and bring that and give it to her daughter. 
The bigger problem, though, is how do you maintain the healthcare system? If you start taking away the children of medical workers, I assure you they will all quit. Let me ask you a question. If you were given the choice between your kid or your job, which would you pick? I'm willing to bet most people would say their kid. Now, look, I know there's stories of like the dad who worked too much and didn't see his kid enough, but I'm talking about the courts taking your kid away. Most people would say, fine, 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 I'll quit. I'll not go to the hospital ever again. Congratulations. Now we have no doctors. This, isn't the, this, this is one of the more egregious affairs in the whole escalation of authoritarianism, literally taking away a doctor's child. I understand that some people might, might agree with it, and, and maybe you do. Maybe I'm wrong on this, but I, I certainly think if you keep doing this, you will see a complete and total collapse. But there are other factors here that I want to get to as well. Let, 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 me, let me conclude the story because you, you've gotten the gist of what it's about. We can argue whether or not it's the right thing or the wrong thing. They go on and talk about all these different issues pertaining to coronavirus. They say, uh, I'm not going to read this. This story goes much more in depth, even outside of the doctor. What I want to point out once again, as I often do, is the dystopian rise that, that we've been seeing. And this is just another story in it. I watched a viral video on Twitter recently of some dude minding his own business in the UK and the cop coming and seemingly cuffing and arrest, arresting him. Why? Because he was standing outside of his house. I kid you not. It's like these cops are bored or some people think something else is happening. I don't know. Sky News says police are turning parts of the UK into dystopia after prosecuting shoppers and people driving due to boredom. Who cares if you're driving around? There was a video that went viral of some people having a drive through Easter ceremony in their cars and the cops lined up and were blocking the parking lot. I don't know exactly what happened, but what do you think is going to happen if you keep doing this stuff? arresting people walking around, taking their kids away. If you want to break the system and tear it to shreds, keep doing what you're doing. Maybe that's what they want. Maybe they want it all to collapse and they can blame the, the, the coronavirus for it. Sky News says police have been accused of overreaching their powers in the wake of new coronavirus legislation after one force said it was prosecuting people for activities, including driving due to boredom and going to the shops with other members of the same household. Legal and human rights experts described Warrington's police actions as dystopian after officers opted to summon people to court for supposed offenses, of supposed offenses such as returning from parties, with critics arguing the measures were not justified by the new legislation and risked harming the ongoing efforts to combat the outbreak. It comes after other forces faced criticism for using drones to monitor people out for walks in public and erecting roadblocks to stop drivers heading to tourist attractions. Now, I know most of you are probably sitting there saying, Tim, we know the UK is a nightmare dystopia. Don't you know about Count Dankula? Oh, we all love Count Dankula, the comedian who got arrested for making a stupid joke on, on YouTube. I don't mean stupid as in it was bad. It was a really funny joke. I mean, it was stupid as in it was not the most important thing in the world, nor was it actually hate speech. They said it was. They arrested the guy. The UK is supposedly in front of us. They often talk about how things that happen in the UK end up happening in the US. That's why I highlight this. We are seeing a woman in Florida have her kid taken away for practical reasons, but it's still horrifying, right? I mean, people will just flee. They'll say, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, I'm not going to stick around. You can't take my kid from me. In the UK, it's much worse. I mean, it's actually kind of bad here too. We saw that video of some dude running on the beach and the cop chases after him. The dude paddle boarding in California, getting arrested. Yeah, we're dealing with much of the same things. In the UK, it seems much more egregious. There are stories of cops driving around using their bullhorn, yelling at people to leave or face arrest. In, the, in, in New York, apparently drones are flying around with loudspeakers. 
You know, at, at the very least, I can say the nightmare dystopia is much more boring than I thought it was going to be. But yeah, this is it. So I, I, maybe you're tired of me talking about these stories, but I'll tell you what, I'm not gonna because this is, this is, this is, I'll do what I can to resist the rise of authoritarianism to the best of my abilities, which includes highlighting these stories. They say Warrington police said six people have been summoned for offenses related to the new coronavirus to protect the public. According to a statement posted by the force on social media, these purported offensive included one person out for a drive due to boredom, people returning from parties and multiple people from the same household going to shops for non-essential items. Absolutely insane. Asked about the way police were interpreting the new rules at the daily Downing Street briefing and about whether the UK was becoming a police state, Foreign Secretary Dominic Robb said, of course, we backed the police doing a very difficult job of unprecedented circumstances, but common sense should be used. Jules Carey, a human rights lawyer and partner at Bindham's LLP, told Sky News the government legislation under the new health under the health protection regulations of 2020 indicated any offenses would be punishable by fixed penalty fines. By referring to summonses, they appear to be suggesting they will be dragging people into criminal court for this. Not only does this use up court space and general resources at a a time of national crisis, but things are already stretched. But it's also but it also criminalizes people unnecessarily. These measures were brought in to protect civilians, and they should certainly be used as far as is reasonable and and proportionate. But the police need to get it in their heads that these powers are fundamentally being introduced to help ensure that we as citizens are safe. This kind of thing is contributing to this dystopian sense of society where we risk adding significant mental health concerns on top of the existing fears around our physical health. It is very important that the police retain public trust as we face this crisis. But overzealous actions such as these, along with the use of drones and roadblocks, will call into question the integrity of the police and they will rapidly lose credibility. Thank you. 100%. And that goes for the US, not just the UK. Sky's policing analyst Graham Whetstone said, obviously police should use any powers proportionately and reasonably, but that is based on the circumstances and on occasions, the, uh, and on occasions, the reaction and attitude of those involved. The official guidance from the National Police Chiefs Council is for officers to engage, explain and encourage people to go home. But that relies on a common sense response from the public and accepting any advice from the officers. I'm sorry, man. If someone's giving you the business, you just be nice and you ask nicely. But too many of these cops have a chip on their shoulder and say, hey, I told you, you got to do this. You, you don't do that to me. I'm a cop. You got to listen to do what I say. Ugh. And then they break social distancing to enforce a rule that's not even, well, at least it here, I guess it's enforceable in the UK. He said the guidelines could have been clearer about what constitutes essential items and journeys as there appears to have been some misunderstanding. He also said that many officers had received no training on how to interpret the new rules apart from a 20 to 30 minute distance, 30 minute distance learning package. Mr. Whetstone added, in the vast majority of cases, police are applying them to the best of their ability and acknowledge and knowledge. But it would appear that in some isolated instances, they may have been overzealous in their interpretation of what the government directed. You know what, man? That will always be the case. You know what's really good about you? There's a light at the end of the tunnel. We can see how police respond to these authoritarian measures, which should tell you they don't work because they interpret them in stupid ways, ways that are counterproductive. You want people to not to break social distancing because they can get sick. Well, if the cops are walking up to people and grabbing people for stupid reasons, your rule isn't working. The authoritarianism doesn't work. The best thing you can do is tell people to do this 
and not go around arresting them and having cops yell at people. Because in the end, all you'll get is a bunch of police going around breaking the rules for the point of trying to stop. You know what, man? I'm hoping that when this is over, this comes to an end. I won't be surprised if it sticks around, though. I guess we can only we can only wait and find out. I got one more segment coming up for you in a few minutes, and I will see you all shortly. Trump and Trump supporters are getting a lot of what they've been asking for. Two big stories right now. Companies are definitely leaving China, reports Forbes. And also the U.S. has expelled thousands of migrants under under coronavirus public health order. I'm going to stop right there and question whether or not Axios means illegal immigrant or like legal migrant, because the U.S. expelling legal migrants doesn't seem to make as much sense. I'm willing to bet that they're, oh, 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 I'm sorry. That's right. Yes. They say the U.S. expelled more than 6,000 migrants using new powers, enabling the federal government to almost immediately turn back border crossers. Oh, Axios, you meant illegal immigrants. Okay. Anyway, the main, le- the main story I want to talk to you about is what's going on with these factories leaving China. The point is, there are a lot of Trump supporters who want to act like this is not nearly as bad as it really is or something. I don't know why. I'm not saying all Trump supporters, but there are a few posts I see where they're definitely downplaying this, acting like the numbers are being fluffed up or something. It's strange to me because for one, it's definitely happening. I mean, look, it might not be happening in the most sensational way the media portrays it as happening, but it is. And and you have Trump getting what he wants. Sit back and, and, and say, okay, I guess the best thing we can do is support those who are trying to solve this crisis. That includes the president. And one of the ways the president is working to solve it is by enacting things that he wants. But outside of what, you know, making what he wants to happen, we're seeing people just, you know, people are doing what he wants. New data shows U.S. companies are definitely leaving China. Forbes reports, global manufacturing consulting firm Kearney released its seventh annual reshoring index on Tuesday, showing what it called a dramatic reversal of a five-year trend as domestic U.S. manufacturing in 2019 commanded a significantly greater share versus 14 Asian exporters tracked in the study. Manufacturing imports from China were the hardest hit. Last year saw companies actively rethinking their supply chain, either convincing their Chinese partners to relocate to Southeast Asia to avoid tariffs or by opting out of sourcing from China altogether. Three decades ago, U.S. producers began manufacturing and sourcing in China for one reason, costs. The trade war brought a second dimension more fully into the equation, risk as tariffs and the threat of disrupted China imports prompted companies to weigh surety of of supply more fully alongside cost. COVID-19 brings a third dimension more fully into the mix and arguably to the fore, resilience, the ability to foresee and adapt to unforeseen systemic shocks, says Patrick Van Den Bosch, Kearney partner and co-author of the 19-page report. The main beneficiaries of this are the the smaller Southeast Asian nations led by Vietnam, And thanks to the passing of the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement, Mexico, for all its problems with drug cartels, has become a favorite spot for sourcing. Now, that's not perfect. Not exactly what many people, many nationalists wanted. We want factories coming back to this country. But it is a big factor in Trump's presidency, the trade war with China and bringing our factories back, at least outside of China. In 2020, the trade war seemed to be on pause. Sadly, it gave way to a global pandemic that emanated from the Hubei province in China. This we all know. Once China got up and running, the U.S. was hit between the eyes with a deadly COVID disease caused by the virus. Even if China was fully healed, the U.S. was stuck in sickbay. The full extent of societal and economic trauma the coronavirus pandemic may cause is still unknown. The Kearney report authors wrote, but whatever the outcome, 
A return to status quo China trade pre-pandemic is unlikely. Not only are factories, companies going to be leaving China, they likely will not be going back. And that's a big thing. That's that's a huge goal for Donald Trump. So I think we we understand the gist of this. As we've seen, there have been tremendous risks due to the fact that our medicines aren't aren't produced uh, in the United States. They're produced overseas. That's a serious hole in our national security. Another big factor for Trump was immigration. So so this this is the president getting a lot of what he wants. Axios, as I already read, reports the big picture that uh, the federal federal government is able to turn illegal immigrants around immediately. It's not just illegal immigrants, too. So maybe Axios was being a bit fair. It's also refugees, people coming and trying to claim status. They say the order has drastically lowered the number of immigrants in CBP custody. So yeah, illegal immigrants to fewer than 100. The agency's acting commissioner, Mark Morgan, told reporters on Thursday, the number of people coming into the U.S. overall has plummeted due to coronavirus-related travel bans in place at both the northern and southern borders. Of the 6,319 migrants expelled under the public health order, uh, 299 were single minors, 393 were family members, and the rest were adults, CBP told Axios. They say between the border crisis last year and the CDC order, border officials had been arresting or turning away an average of 10,000 migrants a week, according to a CBP official. Since March 21st, the agency has averaged 4,200 apprehensions and expulsions per week. The number of attempted border crossings fell by over 2,500 between February and March to 33,937, according to CBP's latest data. This time last year, border numbers began to surge. There were nearly 104,000 attempted border crossings in March 2019. It seems like they're definitely down for sure. That's a huge number. Although some migrants will be able to seek humanitarian relief, It is ultimately at the discretion of Border Patrol agents and uh, U.S. public health is the top concern, Morgan said. So this is something, look, it's it's one factor in an ongoing effort by uh, by the president in terms of controlling immigration, securing our borders. There's a lot of arguments between the Democrats and Donald Trump over what he should or shouldn't do. But I want to talk a little bit more about like the, the ultimate politics of where this brings us. For me, I don't know what my plans are moving forward into November, but I can tell you a few things. Bringing the factories back from China is excellent. Whether it's just because of the pandemic, just because of the trade war, the fact is they shouldn't be over there. This has been a long time coming. It's been very, very bad for us for so many different reasons. The extraction of wealth, taking away good paying jobs from American citizens to, 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 to uh, send to cheap labor overseas where they have very little rights so that that money can trickle up to the ultra wealthy. That's something the left should have been calling out for a long time. Instead, it was on Donald Trump to do so. Immigration, for instance, along with Bernie Sanders, many other people, the president has called out the fact that it's de- it, de- it depresses low skill wage uh, wages. Uh, Bernie Sanders, for sure, came out and flip flopped. So let's talk about what the Democrats have offered us versus what Donald Trump has offered us. Donald Trump has delivered on many of his promises. Donald Trump created a task force about the, uh, um, dealing with the coronavirus the day he received word from it from, you know, his administration. He restricted travel from China a few days later and then publicly said that it wasn't going to be that bad. I, I can only conclude that it's more likely he was downplaying it publicly because he didn't want to spark a panic, but he was taking it seriously. Unfortunately, he didn't do enough. And now we're in this mess. The Democrats have offered a whole lot of nothing. They're not getting what they want. They're doing nothing and they're trying to get nothing. I don't know what they're trying to get. I can look at these stories and say, wow, Donald Trump has got some victories under his belt. These are the things he was, he was trying to get done. What are the Democrats tried to do? Impeach the president? What is that going to do for me or anyone else? 
stop the guy who's actually doing things he wants to do. I don't get it. I really don't understand what your goal is in this. There was a big breaking story the other day. It's very, very uh, complicated and hard to break down. But for the most part, we are now learning that in the investigation from the Democrats, the Horowitz report shows that the FBI knew before they started this crossfire hurricane that some of the information they had was literally Russian intelligence disinformation, and they ran with it anyway. So what have the Democrats gotten for us by pushing that forward? A massive waste of our time, a sham investigation. And so here I am sitting here questioning who, uh, uh, about who I should vote for. I see a lot of people on social media. For some reason, there are a lot of people that everybody has, seems to have like a weird view. I don't know. They make assumptions about who you are, especially people who don't watch all of my content. They're saying things like, I would, you know, I would never, or I, I, I am a Democrat or something like that. It's like a month or so ago, I said I was completely done with the Democratic Party. Yet for some reason, there are people who still maintain these, these, these Trump supporters that Tim Pool is, is, is a Democrat or something. No, 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 no. No, look, man, I can't tell you how many times I've ragged on them. And the problem I have is that for the longest time, I was saying, why don't you do something? Why don't you do something beyond investigate, beyond complain? They don't. The biggest thing I have for, for, I mean, is media criticism and the media lies about the president all the time. So yes, I'm going to call him out. But I, don't, I think it's fair to point out that you don't have to like the president's policies to recognize the Democrats aren't doing anything. Look, I can see Trump winning on the things he wants to win on. That's a fact. The facts aren't always going to be on the side of Trump supporters. But for now, they tend to be because the media and the Democrats are trapped in this parallel universe where they're screeching and doing nothing. They accused Trump of, of colluding with Russians. That was fake news of, of trying to, you know, get Joe Biden, you know, spying on Joe Biden or using Ukraine. That was also fake news. We're getting nothing from the Democrats. I'm sorry. I tried looking up what's their current plan in health care. One of the criticisms I've seen is that the Republicans have no health care plan. Guess what? I couldn't find anything. I'm not kidding. The media doesn't talk about it. Maybe that's more media criticism. Maybe that's the bigger issue. The media won't talk about what they're doing. I think it's actually more fair to say that the Democrats aren't doing anything. You can tell me that you like what Trump is doing or dislike it. I think our factories should come back. So that's credit for Trump. I think what he did crossing the DMZ in North Korea, it's one of the things I'll always praise him for. That was, that was bold and, and, and brave. And I think it was symbolic. When it comes to traditional Republican positions, deregulating environmental protections is a bad thing. Foreign policy moves have been general bad things. Not the worst, but still generally bad. And there's other issues pertaining to like life and choice that make it difficult to support uh, for, for me, right? I don't know if there's a viable alternative to the guy. And what's worrying to me is, and I'll, I'll give the shout out again to Joe Rogan, I've mentioned several times on this, when he said he'd rather have Trump than Biden, he's right. Trump can be pro-life, he can be whatever these, these cultural issues are, but Trump can think straight and Biden can't. And I actually have a real fear of a Biden presidency. You can complain the president is a bad person, I get it, but he's not going to, you know, fall asleep at the wheel and, and crash the ship like Joe Biden would. So let, let, let me wrap these together. The point I'm trying to make is, I'm seeing these stories that just show once again, Trump is getting these victories and these things are happening. And I look to the stories about Democrats and they're constantly losing and they're constantly wrong. At a certain point, you can accept that maybe your policy positions will never be endorsed by someone who can actually win. And you walk away from the Democratic Party because they're losers. Or maybe you're a Trump supporter and you agree with what he's doing and you're constantly winning. Yeah, people try to blame Trump for this pandemic. It's not his fault. As if that's a policy position, it wasn't. So I don't know what this means, but the, po- the reason I'm saying this is because there are a lot of people who, you know, throw shade at me, don't, re- don't know exactly what I'm all about or whatever. Fine. It's fine. Whatever. I don't know. I'm not perfect. Information changes. I'll leave it there. 
We'll see how things play out. I have no problem saying, you know, how I feel. And what I'm saying is currently how I feel. So I'll see you all tomorrow at 10 a.m. Thanks for hanging out. I'll see you next time.